Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. November 21st, 2019. This is the Mike Abadier Show. I am the co-host, Gino Wakola. Like always, sitting next to the main man, Mike Abadier. But Mike, this week, there's uh, another another member of our crew around. If you hear some uh, some crying in the background, it's uh, little baby Milo, who uh, who might be upset because he needs to eat or because he, he poops or Maybe he just wants to pee on dad again. But nonetheless, there might be some baby crying in the background at some point. So just giving See, you that. You're kind of identifying him as a baby. But the real, the reality of it is he actually is pl- uh, playing a big role in a lot of adults' lives, a lot of teens' lives. And oh. uh, I, I think I was reading that you, you posted that since Milo's birth, the big blessing to Lakers, Lakers Nation, USC, what are some of the stats now since Milo's been born? And by the way, congratulations. This is the first time that Gino's been on since giving birth. Huge congrats. Give him a big kiss until I come see him. But what, what are the stats like? So so he was born, Milo was born on uh, November the 12th at 419. And since then. So that's the Lakers, nine, nine days, right? Like a day, a week and two days. Okay. Yep. Since then, the Lakers are 5-0. and Lakers have played five games. They're five and zero. The USC Trojan basketball team has not lost a game. USC won their football game over the weekend, and they actually jumped into the top twenty-five this year, which is kind of crazy because it's felt like a, a pretty disappointing year. So, from for his fandom and rooting interest, the Lakers have not. He has not seen a loss. He has not seen a Laker or a Trojan loss. We root for the Dodgers, and hey, even the Rams won last week. They beat the Bears. He hasn't seen a Ram, Laker, Dodger, or Trojan loss. Now the Dodgers haven't played, obviously, but but no teams that he's that he is a fan of have lost a game in his lifetime. That's not a bad life, Mike. No, it's not a bad I'm life. Saying. I'm it's, just saying. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to excuse the uh, you know little little baby mischief here and there. Mostly that age, it's about needs. So uh, you know, let, let's do some quick hitters. Um, I think this is going to be one of those shows where we probably keep it moving and talk about a lot of topics, sure. especially because we're jamming really like two weeks of a show into, into one. one. And like three, because I didn't talk with you a lot last week. And the That's next true. Week we got so it's almost like, uh, you know, three three weeks into uh, into one. That's a good but I, good point. I got I to get your, your thoughts before um, we move on, on first and foremost. A week ago right now, a couple of uh, – it was about a week ago and, and a few hours from now – when we saw the Miles Garrett incident, where in the Thursday night football game, um, if you weren't watching or you, you didn't hear or find out, Miles Garrett, who is one of the best defensive players in the league, and we're not talking about some random player who's on the practice squad and who just was upgraded to the, the team. Like, this is one of the premier talents in the league, one of the best defensive players. Everybody knows him because he was a top overall pick a couple years back. He was involved in an incident where he, uh, uh, Mason Rudolph, quarterback from Pittsburgh, his helmet was removed, and Miles Garrett was using his helmet, swinging it, and hit him in the head. Now, there was a lot that went into this, Mike, because Rudolph 
Mason Rudolph started this whole thing. He was kind of trying to take Miles Garrett's helmet off. He actually at one point kicked him right in the balls, like right in the groin. And so I don't think he is without um, without fault. But this to me was, I'm, I'm trying to think, like there are maybe three or four things in my life, and you and I, we watch sports, all sports, everything from baseball to basketball to football to soccer to tennis to horse racing to wrestling to this and that. This is one of the worst things I can remember seeing. And I think we're all very lucky that it, it wasn't worse in that Rudolph is okay. He's fine. And this could have been very close to being like, wow, this guy is bleeding from the head on the field on national television. I, I was I was in the hospital watching it with Stephanie and we had to like take like do double and triple takes like, did we just see what happened? Did somebody just swing a helmet at another player's bare head on a field can you recall things like this and kind of like where do you stand on this i do not recall anything that's remotely similar to this in the nfl at least i think there was something in hockey where somebody grabbed a hockey stick and did something and you know you know but gilmore where he took a skate off and he tried to stab him yeah he's in happy gilmore with real life but yeah 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 so I mean, here's the thing, and you said that there could have been blood on national TV, and sure, that would have been very bad. It could have been even worse than that, though, right? I mean, I think there's certain parts of the temple, if you if you, if you get hit at the right spot of the temple, I mean, it could be lethal, right? I mean, it's your head. You could cause hemorrhaging in the brain. You could. There's so many different things that can happen when you do that. I mean, imagine if somebody died on the field due to something like that. I mean, it would be absolutely disastrous. But, I mean, the thing is, now there's more... more the story out. gets more layered and, and more is coming out. Miles um, Garrett today uh, is alleging that Mason Rudolph made a racial slur towards him. And, and I'm just going to come out on the record right now and say I do not believe that. I don't. I, 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 don't, I believe that that type of thing happens and can happen. Sure. I don't believe that it happened in, in this situation because. Why didn't we hear about it until now? Well, because here's the thing there's microphones everywhere now, there's refs everywhere, and you got 22 players on the field. And all the linemen are next to each other on both sides of the ball. And there's nobody else that at that time said, hey, this guy said blah, blah, blah. Also, so there was no witnesses or testimonials about it. But also in the locker room, you watch the interview after the game. Miles Garrett was like apologetic. This is uncalled for. There's no reason to do this. There wasn't anything at all regarding anything that suggested that he he knew he was in the wrong and it seems like now, a week later, it's kind of a reach. It's a bad reach. I think it's bad for race relations. I think it's bad for, you know, crying wolf when it's not necessary. I think this hurts the cause as a whole, socially speaking, when you do stuff like this. It's poor sportsmanship to, to do that and then to do this afterwards, too. All I know is that that Steelers-Browns rivalry is even going to be that much more heated on the and, playing field, which Miles Garrett will not be a part of because he's been suspended indefinitely. And he's, I mean, mo- mo- like so many, this is like so many levels, right? Like just from like a bigger picture, it's fr- what, if you're like Baker Mayfield or Freddie Kitchens or one of them, I, I actually really liked how they responded after I saw like nobody tried to stick up for him. Nobody said that what he did was right. Like they, they obviously were like, this was not, you know, we're not, not acceptable, but you just played a really good game. You just beat up one of your rivals and you, you know what I mean? Like you should be able to get back in that locker room after everyone's been throwing 
crap on you all year about how you're disorganized and this and that. Like, there was five seconds left in the game. You know what I mean? It was literally the last play. You couldn't get through the last play and just say, screw it. You know, because I know that when I play sports, when I'm on a team, I can tell. You can, that's what the point of sport, you try to get under the skin of the best players. You know how many times Miles Garrett's probably had to deal with that throughout his life? People trying to get under his skin, people trying to make him, you know, um, react like that to get a penalty, to get taken off the field. He's a game-changing player. And I know nobody wants to talk about it because the Browns have struggled. But if you look at the Browns' schedule, I don't think they could now. The Browns have had, they still have, but they had a legitimate chance to get to the playoffs even after the bad start. If you look at the rest of their schedule, they, they have games left with Pittsburgh and Baltimore, both of who they've beaten already. They play the Bengals twice, the Dolphins and the Cardinals. They're going to be favored in four at least four of those games, and the two games that they probably aren't going to be favored, they've already beat those teams. Sure. They could, like, we're not talking, we're talking about a team who had the, the most difficult, the second most difficult schedule in the league up until last week. And now they have the second easiest schedule the rest of the year. So you're, re- like, you, not only did you hurt Rudolph, you, you disrespected the league, you hurt your team, and the chances that your team has to possibly get into the playoffs. And I think it's hard because I don't think Miles Garrett is a bad guy. I really don't. Like, I don't think he's a perfect, like Vontez perfect. I don't think he's one of those guys who's like trying to hurt someone on the field. I think he had a bad, bad moment. That was a more than a bad moment. There's absolutely no excuses for it. But like you said, you come out today and you start saying the racism stuff. I don't even, even if that happened, the fact that it's already been a week and nobody else has mentioned it, you're better off just not saying that because you come off like like you just said, like sour grapes, like you're bitter, like you're trying to change the story and you're trying to change the narrative and you look kind of like you're whining. And I don't – I mean I don't know what Pouncey or some of the other players around, would they have been sticking up for Rudolph if they heard Rudolph call him names like that? I don't think they might. I don't, I don't know if they would have just because they're on his team. If he's yelling racial slurs like that, around other players, I don't know if his offensive linemen are going to stick up for him like that. You know, if he's calling them names as well. Look, there would like, be a different tone in each of the locker rooms after the game if it was said. And like I said, there's microphones everywhere right now. They're, they're probably, you know, and refs, I mean, how many people are there within a small confined area? I mean, outside of the receivers and DBs are maybe down the field or whatever. I mean, you have, I don't know, probably 10, 15 people in a, in a confined, I mean, in a vicinity of within maybe 10, 12 yards, you know what I mean? And it's in a stadium, right? So something like that has to be yelled to be heard. You know, obviously it's, if it's an anger, you're not going to whisper it. Um, I don't know. To me, it just seems like it's a reach going back to the, you know, to the moment itself where he swung. It's kind of funny because when you look at any sport, you name it, you know, uh, when it comes to fights, you know, in hockey, they may say, okay, the gloves, gloves are coming off or, uh, you know, or it, in other sports, you, you got a lot of gear on, but you don't see anybody using anything from the actual sport itself, whether it's a baseball bat, like they'll throw the bat down when you get hit by a pitch out. and you yeah. run out, you could go with a bat, right? You, you, you know, that the only thing I've seen is maybe somebody using their pitcher, like a skinny pitcher using the, his glove to like throw it at somebody to got to slow yeah. him down until his bigger teammates arrive or something like that. But that's not going to inflict any pain really or cause injury. So, you know, I'd have no issue 
if he would have punched him in the face. I really wouldn't. What's well, like, funny if, because if you use the other hand, right? You use one hand with the helmet, it's a big problem. You use yep. the other hand, even if it's a closed fist, you're going to get fined, maybe a game, but it's not. It's going to make a highlight, but it's probably not going to be talked about until those same two teams line up in a couple of weeks, but it's kind of forgotten about. It's kind of funny how using your left versus your right makes a world of difference. And um, yeah, because I, mean, I, I really do think that Rudolph, like it's it's hard. What make it's, it's, it's happens a lot, and you see. I mean, you know, as an agent and as someone who's dealt in some, tons of law all the time, it's almost always the retaliation that gets caught. Almost yeah. always, right? Yeah. Like you very rarely catch the person who starts something. We see it on the court, on the field, on and every sport and everything. Somebody gives you a cheap shot from behind, and you catch the person who turns around and and, and whacks the whoever. You know, like yep. that's the person that gets caught. And so again, like Miles Garrett didn't just rip off Rudolph's he- uh, helmet for no reason. He was provoked. He wasn't just walking down and was like, like that's the difference between like perfect or like hitting a, a defenseless player where some of those times I wonder where it's like that guy was trying to hurt that player. Like Garrett, Garrett was provoked and then he wanted to, to, to go at him. And then he obviously went way, way, way too far. And so I'm, my only issue is just that, I think because Rudolph was the victim, he kind of got away with it and he only got fined. He didn't even get suspended. I actually heard a lot of the Pittsburgh fans and people saying it actually would have helped Pittsburgh's team. If you suspend him a game, <laughs> the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Look, Gino, here's the thing in the NFL. I mean, isn't every play a provocation, <laughs> right? I mean, sure. think about it. I mean, That's every right, play yeah. you're banging on somebody. Right. It's it's a contact it sport is. in just about every single position on every single play. There's contact. And, it, and, and we don't so, see the bottom know, of the pot. Sure. And, and, and maybe, tr- you know, trying to take off a helmet's not a very customary thing that happens, you know, to your opponent or whatever. Um, is that necessarily what pissed him off? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'd like to really find out what was it exactly that triggered it. Because like you said, he's not one of those loose cannon type guys. No, you know, overall, since he's been in the league, we haven't really heard anything about him being a dirty player or or like you like you mentioned, Vontaze Perfect, who's known to have a very emotional uh, playing style and outbursts. And he's even cost his team a playoff game in the past mm-hmm. just by doing ridiculous stuff. Miles Garrett doesn't seem to be that type of guy. Now, maybe it's because the Browns haven't been in the limelight, so we really haven't seen it or scrutinized it much but all by all indications he seems to be a pretty decent human being it's probably a one-time you know thing and probably never happens again but this is going to stick with him the rest of his life and he has to go and it's has to go above and beyond and prove that this was whatever it be for chair like whatever charitable actions he's going to have or anger management and going to speak with people because like man you and i Sometimes when we disagree, I'll yell and scream at you. You know what I mean? And I'll get I'll get intense. But I don't. It's like I'm not ever thinking about taking it to the that. Like I I'm not someone who's always the most completely level headed. I'll get upset sometimes and go off and then be like, man, I probably yelled a little too much that time at whoever or my opinion was wrong or whatever it was. Like there's just such another line from being frustrated, being upset, like swinging at someone or like to taking that helmet <laughs> and swinging that helmet at their head. The helmet which weighs more than a brick, a brick. Would you swing a brick at someone's head? Like that's, that's crazy to think about. So it is is crazy to think about. I hope that, I hope that, you know, this is just a sign moving forward because I saw, I saw some people that were like, 
there's no sticking up for Garrett. You can say that you thought that maybe Rudolph should have gotten a little bit of, of a suspension too. That that I'm fine with, but there's no making it okay what Garrett did. There's just not. There's not. And so hopefully like in this climate with the concussions, with the injuries, with everything that's going on, this suspension had to be bigger and more than the other ones that we've seen because it's not like it's what we're dealing with right now in horse racing too, Mike. We see it in Southern California. When the times change, the punishment and, and, and everything around it, the discussion has to change. Absolutely. And things get magnified. And yeah, I agree with you. And I think for Miles Garrett's uh, sake, you know, uh, I would be advising him uh, on on the steps that he needs to take. He's going to have to be patient about it. But what he does between today and training camp of next year is going to really make a difference in terms of when he's able to come back. Um you know, and definitely means we don't know when he will be returning. And I think they did that because they probably have an intention to suspend him for the first, I don't know, X many games in 2020. And could that be a half season? Could it be the whole season? Or or is it going to be game one? And I think a lot of that is going to be dependent on what he does between now and then. You mentioned the uh, charitable component. It's going to be things like that, right? Where he's going to really have to, you know, on his own, go to anger management, not have it be mandated do charitable things on his own, or if these things are mandated to go above and beyond and to really use this as an opportunity to show the world that um, you're, you know, that this is behind you. Um, You know, there are ways to handle things and there are other ways to not. An example of not is to do the things that Antonio Brown's been doing. Yeah. Right. If you go about it that way, you're not getting back into the league. I'm sorry. It doesn't, you know, like you, he's keeps distancing himself from the playing field just horrible he's like always on there one day he'll love the page he i really like see him and i wonder if if there's some sort of bipolar disorder there with antonio no he, because this like, is a normal behavior man no and not for someone who like we said when when you watch hard knocks and stuff you see he's a smart guy he's not a guy who's like lazy either like he's a guy who knows the 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 playbooks he studies it he's he's a big master of his craft and running routes and learning like how to break down defenses he's he's someone who is a student of the game as well as a a immense talent and so things have had to things have changed or whatever his his, his circle around him or something has changed for a- antonio brown and and you know what maybe for for miles garrett what what if i were him one thing i would just try to do right now is I would try to keep my mouth shut and I would try to, to win. You know, you can't do anything until next year at the at the very least. But when you play well and when you win games, it, it doesn't cure everything. They say winning cures everything, but it sure cures a lot. And if you're able to put this behind you and take this Browns team as, as one of the leaders of that team who's still young and they still have a ton of upside. I mean, for as bad as they've been, this team is not far away from being a 500 team again. And I just mentioned their easy schedule the rest of the year. You got to be you got to win. You It'll be interesting win. to see how they bounce back from this. You know, th- I think this this upcoming game will be, uh, you know, an sure. indicator, right? If they come out really, really flat, then you know that this week wore down on them, and and it's probably going to be impossible to recover if they use this as springboard. But I think what they're probably going to find is that they're going to realize that they're missing a really, really key component to their team. Gino, before we take this first uh, commercial break, I wanted to, you know. T- we're talking about kind of 
off field, well, on field, and then the ramifications and the off field stuff, and then getting back onto the field again. And I want to segue this to something else that happened, but in a different sport right after this break. I want to talk to you about the Astros because what they did had an impact on your Dodgers. And uh, Jock Peterson had some comments to say about that. We'll talk about that right after this quick commercial timeout. Stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps, on and off the field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and we're transitioning from football over into the incident in baseball right now the sign-stealing incident with the Astros. And, and Mike, it's not the sign-stealing that's the problem, right? Because sign-stealing has been a part of baseball forever. Generally, when, when we talk about sign-stealing, it's a player who's out on the base path who's able to pick up the signs that the catcher and the pitcher are communicating with. So you, it's usually a runner on second. I've even seen Kenley Jensen this year balk to get a runner from second to third just to try to get him to not be able to pick up the signs that the Dodgers were were putting forth. And so stealing signs in that sense, that happens on every team. That's kind of part of baseball, right? Like trying to, to get a little bit of an advantage and decode the signs. It's not that that's an issue. It's the fact that this group of Astros now in 2017 and apparently in 2019 has employed some of their executives and people in the organization 
to film, to um, record, to have a live streaming video plugged right into the dugout. They've used all sorts of signals, banging on trash cans, whistling things. I mean, kind of overall, where do you? What are your some of your thoughts on this this situation? Okay, so let's take uh, the listeners back really quickly. How this all came about was Oakland A's pitcher Mike Fires told The Athletic in a story uh, a couple of weeks ago that when he was on the Astros 2017 championship team, that the Astros stole signs during home games by using like a camera positioned in center field. Um, now, the, the thing that I'm kind of wondering is how are they able to so quickly take the what they see on camera and then translate that into, you know, making a sign or sig- You know, you were talking about like whistling and, you know, so uh, you got to practice that a lot. Sure. You know this what I mean? A- like that seems pretty elaborate. Like, okay, let's practice this. Okay, how are we going to get it from the TV screen or however they're viewing it, right, to other players to or a manager or coach, bench coach or whomever to then make this sign? Like everybody's in on it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And that kind of goes to your point about Cora and others. I don't think anybody could turn a blind eye to that, right? I mean, I think you'd ha- or a blind ear. <laughs> I think you'd have to, you know, know kind of what's going on. So, you know, where where I come out on this is, you know, there's that baseball adage: if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? Um, but the MLB has established a lot of rules, and most of them have to when it comes to that. Most of them have to do with if it's human element on human element what your eyes, ears, your five senses are able to see or decipher and you use that to your advantage, that's that's up to you. We're not going to stop that. But once you start using technology, things out of the human element, then that becomes um, illegal cheating, right? It's just not allowable. You know, you can't use uh, – I think I think there was something, by the way, uh, just to call out my Red Sox, involving text the messaging. I'm sorry? There's the Apple Watches, right? Yeah, the watches are they're using like some kind of text texting technology through the watches, I believe. Something yeah. like that. I don't remember the details, yeah. so don't quote me on that, but there was something with the Red Sox, but it seemed a lot more minor than what we're talking about here. So yeah, he had an incident with signing international players uh, a year after. There was something with the um the Braves where they were banned for lying about the team's uh, international signing rules. We actually had an issue a few years ago. That was against the the Astros, which was the Cardinals, where they were fined $2 million and they had to forfeit two top draft picks because they stole scouting information from the Astros' computer. Yeah, they actually hacked hacked the emails. They hacked them. And the the Astros, uh, the Cardinals' scouting director, Chris Correa, he was banned for life and he went to prison. So we're talking like serious stuff here. And so that's why what made this difficult is there was an email. So after Mike Fires, who you mentioned, and you know why Mike Fires comes out, here's some of the games that Mike Fires, who pitched for Oakland last year, here were some of his games against the Astros. On April the 7th, 1.2 innings pitched, seven hits, six earned runs. He gave up. Uh, he later on in the year against the Astros, one inning pitched, nine hits, nine earned runs. This is a guy who had a 3.9 ERA on the year. Yeah, 15-game winner, 15-4, and four, had a really and he, respectable whip, and all of a sudden he gets beat up like a pinata against the Astros on the road. Time. Yeah, both the time and, and the games that are at Houston are the ones where he gets beat up. Now, here's what, kind of what I'm wondering. How come when he was on the mound that day, he didn't um, you know, tell the A's, go cover up the damn camera? Oh, I know. 
or maybe he's looking around and they moved them and they're different spots and their signals are ever changed from the, maybe, from maybe they've got a protocol when they face former players. Sure. And, and then if you go and look at the splits of the Astros players in 2017, home and away splits, Jose Altuve hit 300 points better at home than he did away. 300. He and was by like, the way, and that's not really supposed to be as dramatic unless you play a Coors Field um, or some hitter, some like a uh, line drive hitters at Fenway Park who are able to like use the 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 wall. The they play pepper with the wall. Like Wade Boggs was infamous for that, right? He le- left-handed hitter, he'd play pepper off the wall. He'd get like 50 doubles, and he would bat like 360 on uh, at home and like three, uh, 289 on the road. That type of thing. Coors Field, same thing. I mean, typically you don't see that when there's no elevation. You'll see, you know, you're, you're better at home. But it might be, you know, like 322 and, and 295 or 280 yeah. or something like that, you know. So this is dramatic. When, you're, ta- when you're talking about an MVP type player batting 300 better, did you say 300 points? 300 points. 300 he was like points. 160 on the road versus 460 at home. And this is against the Dodgers. Now, keep in mind, people want to rip Clayton Kershaw for choking in the World Series. Game one of the World Series against the Astros when it was at Dodger Stadium. He was awesome. You know when he had a bad game? was when he pitched on the road and he got lit up. When they were up four runs and then they came back. And it was in that same game when they got to to Kershaw, to Kenley, and to Maeda repeatedly. And then in game seven, there was a, they were apparently, you know, tipped, Hugh Darvish had tipped his pitches. We're talking about players whose reputations have been completely drastically changed over the last couple of years. Kershaw now has this, he chokes in the playoffs, which... You know, this season he wasn't great, great again, and he has had some struggles. But if you look at that 2017 series, he pitched great the first game against them. He pitched great in game seven when he had to come in in for relief. The game that he pitched bad was on the road at Houston when he had a four run lead. And I believe the Dodgers in that season were something like, and if you still look, I believe Clayton Kershaw's regular season record. He is still undefeated when he's given four runs of support. I'm almost positive. And it's like an absurd number. That was the first time ever that he had like had that much runs of support and 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 gotten blown it like in a game. It's which is just crazy. So now, I mean, this is a this is a lot to deal with. And I and you mentioned the Red Sox. We don't know if they had anything to do in their 2018 run. We know that Cora was a, a bench a part of the bench coach there, but this impacts in 2017, it, it impacts the Yankees, who the Astros beat. It impacts the Dodgers, who the Astros beat. And then over in 2018 in the playoffs, the Red Sox and the Cardinals complained about Astro, um, or the Red Sox and the Indians complained about some of the Astros' um, um, sign stealing and that players that were filming and there was somebody who pointed a phone into one of their dugouts. And they their response was, oh, we were just checking if they were cheating. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That- the response of the Astros general manager. Yeah, yeah. you know it's. Okay, yeah, by sure, the way, yeah. the Astros also beat their the, the in the first round. They beat uh, in the divisional round. They beat the Red Sox in 2017. Also, so they're they're also included in uh, on on that on both ends. Now, by the way, they, Tires, I just yeah. I just pulled this up right now. So uh, regarding the Apple Watch situation in 2017 with the Red Sox, at that point in time, Manfred sent out a memo to all 30 clubs and said, from this point on. All future violators would be subject to more serious sanctions, including the possible loss of draft picks. I wonder what the discipline is going to be like 
once they're able to, you know, establish and after the investigation and, and things look really, really obvious and they're now doling out punishment. I mean, to me, it seems like more than just losing a draft pick or two um, and I mean, beyond just- a fine. I, I'm kind of wondering, though, what what could MLB do in this case? What would you do if you were a commissioner? Because, because I, like this, I'm a Dodger fan, right? Do I want to say, oh, the Dodgers are now your 2017 World Series champions. We're going to have a parade here in downtown LA. No, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. And that's not what you should do. But, I mean, it, it's very, like, steroidsy to me, you know, because I wonder, like, I see a team like this with the Astros, and they're so good and they're so talented. And you just keep asking, like, do they need, why did they do this? Did they need to do it? It's like when I, when I think about A-Rod and Bonds taking steroids, it's like you guys are so good. And Clemens... It's like, when did you do it? When did you not? Now are we going to ever know what was real, what was tainted, what wasn't? Like, I, that, that's, to me, what's, what's so tough about this situation. We, like, reading from an, um, the athletic article that Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich wrote, an Astros front office executive wrote about the team's desire to steal signs. There was an email obtained where the executive asked the team's scouts to pursue sign stealing from the Sands and suggested cameras could be used to do so. Take one thing we quote, one thing we are looking for is picking up signs coming out of the dugout. The email sender wrote, we're looking for how much we can see, how we log things. Do we need cameras, binoculars? So go to the game, see what you can see, and then report back your findings. Like that is, this was in Slack channels and in text messages also like that's, that's, (laughs) this is not just a couple people picking up signs from second base. This is a fully like plan as you mentioned sophisticated organized they've all like you're going through so much to do this wouldn't you be just as well served just studying the pictures you know what i mean (laughs) putting this much effort into just your scouting your actual scouting (laughs) you know you know what what it makes me think though is just how ridiculously talented these guys are generally speaking anyways because you know let's just take like you or I, obviously, you know, we can't hit major league pitching, but it doesn't matter. If somebody told me what was coming, it wouldn't really matter at all, right? So that's on one extreme, uh, uh, you know, an amateur or a non-professional on one extreme uh, uh, end of the uh, spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, though, you have a major league hitter, even if he's just like a 260, 270 hitter, even 250, 240, you name it. If he knows what's coming. Or even just. he his chances improve that much more dramatically. It's it just really shows you how how uh, amazingly talented these guys guys are. Do you see what what my point is? It's it's like you tell this guy it's a curveball, and all of a sudden he goes from like a two forty hitter yeah. to to like you know what I mean. Like uh, if he was able to cheat on every pitch, he'd bat five hundred. I mean that just shows you how real, ridiculously fantastic these guys are at their craft. And there are videos out there where you can hear the whistling, you can hear the banging on the trash cans, and. Mike, these players were hitting the ball in some of these games like they knew what was coming. Yeah, they were. They were. When you just watch, you watch. And then there's all sorts of little weird body language things where they look to someone that they're getting a sign. They look to the dugout or they they reference to someone in the outfield or like little things that you probably don't notice. But then when this story's out, if you're able to go back and look, you can pick things up. There was something about the Astros, uh, their documentary where they won, where they even showed like when they walk through their clubhouse, there are some spots where there's like a random computer here. And then there's something else. I wanted to hear what Gina was going to say. Uh, while we work on Gino's microphone, uh, 
you know, I want to kind of comment on some of the things that Gino is saying. So it's really interesting to me because there was, and I, and I hope Gino can hear me while they're fixing his mic. When I was talking to Gino about the uh, Kershaw, you know, kind of mental blunders and stuff from a few years ago, I remember telling him that uh, we were having kind of a heated debate. He was obviously defending Clayton Kershaw, and I was telling him that I had a conversation with a former big leaguer, former big league all-star. And I was telling Gino, it's almost, uh, what this guy said is it's almost like they know what's coming. And he said, the telltale sign is look at their back foot, the hitters back foot. Once he starts digging in, digging his heels in, you, and you see him kind of like, you know, getting that footing to where he's digging in and ready to rip the ball. Typically speaking, that's when the players at his highest confidence. And it just hit me right now in that conversation. They actually did know what was happening. They did. And that's why. Do you remember the conversation, Gino? And I was 100%. Like, yeah. I, 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 I remember it was heated between us. And I'm like, Gino, I'm telling you, this former, by the way, now it's been a few years. I could tell my source. It's Jimmy Rollins. He was like, they're digging in like they know what's coming, Mike. They're not scared. You were like. They're not scared. Exactly what I. I'm glad like, you remember that because this was like three 100%. years ago. Yes. And, um, and I was like, Gino, I'm not BSing you, man. I'm telling you, this is what he said. And, uh, and, and it was true. It's a crazy guy, thing. Was, he's not. I, and that's the thing. It was like he's now and, and now as he's gotten older, he he dropped off this year as far as the, the like his his miles per hour. And every yep. year now from now on, he's going to he's going to be throwing slower and slower and he's going to have to become more of a pitcher. But even, a couple of years ago, still, he was still pretty damn dominant. And oh, yeah. so that's why I was saying. Dude, there's no way this guy still is dominating people all throughout the year. Even through the playoffs, he's been having great games. And and you were right; they were digging in because they did know, they knew what was coming. And that's just it's it kind of it kind of vindicates a, a little bit. I mean, I know he's you know because because really Kershaw's main problems were with the Cardinals, and there are a lot of pitchers that have a problem with one specific team for whatever reason. Now, if you remove the Cardinals and now you keep this in the back of your mind. It really makes a case for uh, Kershaw not being la- should not be labeled the choker. You know, I kind of now take that back a little bit because, like I said, there's a lot of pitchers have a problem with one particular lineup for whatever reason, or maybe the lighting at a certain stadium or the mound or something, right? So you could throw one one kind of nemesis out the window, but uh, you know, like you said, a lot of that was established. The Dodgers finally got to the World Series. They've been trying to do it for 30 years. They got there, and at the biggest stage, well, he actually now has an excuse on the biggest stage because those guys cheated to know what was coming, and that's not right. And when we now see, based on the data, how much of a difference cheating really does make when you look at the splits. It's something else, man. It's not even like we're talking about the Dodgers losing in the World Series to the Red Sox where what was a five game series, you know, like we're talking about going to game seven when one or two plays either way could have won the world series for the Dodgers. Yep. It, yeah. it was like they needed to be cheating a bunch, just one or two times if they knew what was happening. And and when the Dodgers had a lead in game five and they blew that one or, and, and, you know, any of the games, the Dodgers lost one, one more at bat. That's it. We're not talking about, Oh, you know, they played the Red Sox, but let's be honest. Like, the, the Red Sox pretty much, it just felt like the Red Sox year, right? We even see because all the Red Sox players who had that great year, they've kind of come back and had a crap year this year. You yeah. know, they like, so it was like, that was the year for the Red Sox. That was their year. 
everybody was firing on all cylinders. I don't think the Dodgers could have really done anything to beat that group that year. The way the Red Sox hit with runners in scoring position, everything was just a perfect storm. That was not the case against the Astros. They went back and forth. They had a great series. The Dodgers were maybe the better. They were just as good. Nobody thought that the Astros were like that much better of a team than the Dodgers. And so that's, you know, it just, it, it, it wasn't a lot that needed to happen in order for them to lose. And so it just, it's no, frustrating. No, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll go out on a limb and say, it's not really going out on a limb, I guess. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I think if this didn't happen, the Dodgers probably win the 2017 World Series. And uh, maybe even, you know, 2019. I mean, who, who's to say? Because who's to say? Who's to thing- say if the Astros even get out of, you, you know, the, the you know, it, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, when you win a World Series in, 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 in 2017, a lot changes. Uh, even all the way down to, you know, this year's team would have a different level of confidence. You know what I mean? Like you can't no, just say, no, "Oh well, they lost to the Nationals. They didn't even lose to the Astros." Well, but who knows? Who who knows what would have happened? These things have huge, huge impacts and ripple effects on rosters, on money spending, on players you know, getting pulled up and down from the minors throughout the, all throughout the season. What if you're a relief pitcher and you come in against the Astros? You get lit up. You get sent right back down. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things that that like you don't even it's this is way bigger than just the Dodgers getting screwed out of a World Series. Oh yeah, possibly. this has a lot of effect on a lot of different teams, a lot of different players. We're up against a commercial break, Gino. Uh, on our way out here, I want to kind of throw out maybe a suggestion uh if these guys were the NCAA and not Major League Baseball, they'd probably vacate the World Series, right? Isn't that what they do in college? They vacate Dude. Heisman, they vacate championship, vacate it's wins for Paterno or for uh, Yeah. yeah. You know, they vacate, the, you know, so that they'd be vacated. I don't know if you could elevate a team to a World Series winner, but I don't think Major League Baseball will do that. I kind of say that in jest and joking, but if this was a different organization like the NCAA, they would absolutely do that in this think- kind of situation here. So let's take a commercial and we could uh, finish up on this topic and move on to week 13 or week 12 of the NFL season and maybe a little bit of NBA if we've got some time. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety. 
hunting megastar and co-host of My Outdoor Family, Eva Shockey, joins the revolution with Jim and Trav this week to discuss conservation, the tasty benefits of eating wild game, recruiting a new generation of hunters, and much more. Then we'll hear from Matt Rice, Senior Manager, Media Relations, and Consumer Marketing for Bushnell, the Kansas Catman, Cat Daddy, and Mrs. Bunny. The revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here. We're closing up with the uh, baseball talk. And, you know, Mike, we're talking about for just during the break, for me, it was the organizational control now because it was a few years back when Yuli Gurriel was making racist, you know, comments and remarks in the dugout. And then we have sign stealing stuff. And then we have the Astros go and, and take a chance on Osuna, who has been, you know, involved in um, um, all sorts of domestic abuse, stuff like that. And then we had the incident this year where they're celebrating their victory in the ALCS and they, you know, are celebrating Osuna in front of uh, female reporters. And then they try to get that female reporter fired and basically said that she was lying afterwards. To me, this is all institutional control, right? When, when this happens on the Browns, we all blame Freddie kitchens, you, you know, this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you got to go to the top. Why aren't we blaming the owner, the president, the GM and the head coach for me? I, they need a clean sweep. I, if I were major, major league baseball, I would find them. I would take away their draft picks and I would say, you know what? We need an entirely new group of leaders in this place right now because I don't want anything that has been happening before to creep up again. That That's what I would do if I was laying down the law. Yeah, I, I, I see it similarly. I think you, you have to do a clean sweep because uh, at, the, at this point in time, when you have guys who are doing things and other guys who are covering things up and other guys who are sending out emails you know, this isn't like, a, hey, just just to keep it between you and I. This is widespread, probably all the way down to who knows what level in the minors all the way up and everywhere in between. Because you try to instill a philosophy, which is winning at all costs. There's, you know, we, we'll, we want to do whatever it takes to win. And in order to kind of ingrain that, that now I'm not saying that they put cameras in every center field of every minor league institution, you know, stadium that they play in, but I'm just saying there's got to be a sense of that philosophy all the way down versus versus an organization who, like, let's just say, is uh, very, very adamantly against and opposed to uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence, and won't tolerate it. And they make a stance from the very top of the organization down. There will not be anybody. It's not tolerated. There won't be anybody involved in the, with our organization, whether it be a player, coach, scout, front office member, that can have that on their record or an allegation even. We're just going to get rid of you. You know, Some teams have tolerance. Some teams don't. It seems like the Astros have shown us their true colors of what they'll tolerate and what they're willing to do to win. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers released Chapman. They they went to make a deal for Chapman, and they yes. didn't and they didn't follow through on that deal. And then he ended up going and winning a World Series. And the Dodgers, you know, could have had a, a closer, another closer with him and Kenley at the back end, a lefty and a righty like that. You don't think that would have been really tough 
for some teams to get through. But you know what the Dodgers said? No. They had Julio Urias, who had an issue this year. They did everything that MLB asked. I think that that issue with the cameras and everything came out, it was a little bit overblown. But the Dodgers have been very strong in their stance like against this. And I applaud you know, them. Beginning. You know, I applaud them, especially it, even more so now after some of this has come out, to know kind of what the threshold is, the moral compass of these teams. You know, it kind of makes you really appreciate and respect those who kind of have a red line and they won't cross that red line. They don't even want to be close to a gray area. You know, this is the line. We won't cross that line when it comes to these subject matters. And, and that's that. So uh, I'm and, with and, you, man. Perfect transition into football as we we move over. Isn't it amazing when you think about the the teams or like the the, the teams that have been caught cheating or the players that have been caught cheating? Like who who's coming to mind? The really good ones, like Bonds, who might have been the best player ever before cheating. You yeah. know, A Rod, Clemens, the New England Patriots, the Houston Astros. Like we're talking about the top tier players in organizations that get caught cheating. And I I don't like I don't think the Patriots win because. They cheat all the time. I think that they've they've tried to take some you know some advantages and try to take advantage of some small things that they could, and I think they win because they have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. You know that that's why. But it sure doesn't hurt when you're able to get a little bit extra information. And sure. like this Astros team, they got some of the best players in the league. Their pitching staff was Verlander and Cole and Granky. Like you're telling me that on just pure talent, they couldn't have won. Without trying to do this crap, of course they could have. That's what makes it really frustrating for me too. Is it yep. just best that are cheating? Exactly, exactly. So Gino, um, because obviously we could talk about this for quite a bit of time, and um, this just the cheating topic in general. Um, let's let's kind of transition back to the NFL in one moment. I just want to get your quick thoughts on the uh, Lakers' start to the season. Um, aside from what Milo has done for the remarkable <laughs> things he's done for, for the for the ball club and also the Clippers. Just a, a, a quick hit on each. I mean, it's it's going to be such a great year. I just hope that everybody stays healthy because the Lakers are – I thought they would be good, but I thought it would take a little while. We've talked about how LeBron teams generally start slow, but it really felt like LeBron – had a, a point to prove this year. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Everybody said he was washed up after last year. They said he's done. He's never going to be able to get back to that same level. They said he can't play defense anymore. And he, he's he's doing it. He's not only like leading this team. He's a great. He's being a great teammate, and he's playing incredible defense. Anthony Davis is probably the leader for defensive player of the year. Dwight Howard is completely rejuvenated. He's bought into this bench mob, and this team they like each other, Mike. You see, they they jump, they high five, they're rooting for each other on the bench, they're laughing, they're joking. Frank Vogel, you know what? If you're not playing defense, he pulls you right out. If you start the game and you're not playing well, he makes an adjustment and he starts a different lineup in the second half. He's got no reason to just BS anymore. Um, I mean, I'm I'm very very pleased, and they've played it. Let me say, they played a pretty soft schedule as of late, but that's what you want to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, right? I'd rather have them. Being, they don't have any bad losses so far this year. They've lost the opening night to the Clippers, and they lost to a good Raptors team who, if you want to call that a bad loss, go ahead. But the Raptors are, are a pretty damn good team, and that was kind of a bad matchup for the Lakers because they have a lot of wings. Yeah, the and Clippers, look, even even the, the Raptors lost their best player. They've still won 10 out of 14 games to start yeah. the season. So they're obviously showing that they're, they're a championship-level team. Yep. Yeah, and and the Clippers are, are going to be awesome too. I mean, they're, we finally saw Paul George back with Kawhi. The one thing that's concerned me a little bit is, you know, everybody in the offseason wanted to talk about how, 
well, LeBron's done and he has nothing left and Anthony Davis is injury prone, which is kind of silly because Anthony Davis isn't injury prone. People kept thinking that. But Kawhi is the one who he has a congenitive knee issue that there's surgery cannot fix. I mean, I'm told and, and I've heard he has to do like two hours of prep before the game of therapy just to get him ready to play. And then as soon as the game is done, he doesn't go and, and talk to the media. He does like two hours more of work. And then he comes and talks to the media at like 12 at like 1130 midnight. And they get pissed off because they've been waiting for him for so long, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm worried about Kawhi. He's already missed four games this year. And, and it's, if he's healthy at the end of the year, they're going to be very tough. But can he go through a whole season again and carry a team like he did through the playoffs it, it last year? It sounds like this is what's going to happen throughout his career. And I yeah, think forever. that's why they're kind of addressing it head on and calling it load management because, you know, you can't just put like, uh, you know, knickknack injuries on the injury report every, you know, every day, every week, however they report it in the NBA. I guess it's game by game or daily. Uh, but either way, I mean, I think they had to just be like, hey, this is <laughs> this is load management. I know the the uh, NBA offices in New York probably aren't very happy about that. Neither are the advertisers nor the, uh, you know, the uh, television and radio partners, uh, media partners, but this is what you have to do to, to keep him healthy. Like you said, so we're probably going to be getting him, you know, into maybe 65, 70% of games would be my guess. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, the, that's just the way that you're going to have to move forward with Kawhi Leonard to, you know, keep him healthy when it comes uh, to April. And and that's just the way it is really quickly. Cause I know we want to get to some uh, NFL games, two teams that have kind of impressed me quite a bit are the Boston Celtics, especially after the big injury and uh, Miami heat, the heat very it's, it's quietly won 10 out of 13 games. Yep. And I like the heat in that they always find a way to reload, you know, whether it be after the the Shaq Dwayne Wade era or the LeBron Dwayne Wade era or now with Jimmy Butler. I mean, they stay relevant. They're are they're committed to winning, and I and I really like that. Whereas you'll see that the Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, you know, they'll have like a World Series, you know, kind of like the Miami Heat, but then they become in the dumps for like ten years, and then they'll be good again, and then go into the dumps. The Heat, I respect that quite a bit when you're able to reload. Three times in a 12-year period to have, you know, championship contending type of teams. Yep. Um, Starts with Riley and with Spolstra, you know, right at the top. Like, coaching, great organization that they're running. And Boston could have, Boston should have beat the Clippers last night. They got it. There were like three or four really bad calls down the stretch that would have get, and I I hate Boston. So I'm not like, I wouldn't tell you like, oh, unless that really happened. So, um, Mike. So, you know, we we actually up and back against it. We've we've left ourselves one minute. A lot of good NFL games this weekend. Uh, Let me just give our picks. I gave one out last week, by the way, and it it sucked big time. But I'm going to go back to them again, which are the Redskins. I wanted, I I thought Haskins would, uh, you know, kind of show us something. And I saw something towards the end of the game in in that he didn't give up. So I'm going to go with the Washington Redskins getting three and a half points. I'm going to take him. Yep, Tampa getting four points against the Falcons and Jacksonville getting three points against Tennessee. What about you? Okay, I'm going to take two games. One of them, I'm with you with Tampa plus the four at Atlanta. And the game I really like is the Bengals at home. I think you can get plus seven against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's been dealing with all this crap in the media. You know, the Rudolph, the 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 Garrett stuff. And the Bengals are 0 for the season. This is the one, this is like a Super Bowl for them. 
You're sure. playing a rival in division at home. You have a chance. They're not that good. I think Cincinnati could maybe even win this game straight up. And I think they showed some grit against the Raiders. They hung in there. Sure. So, yeah, I think they keep this within a touchdown. So look for the plus seven on Cincinnati. And then I'm playing the other one, Tampa plus the four. So the two for me. And, and just for the, on the road here, speaking of the Raiders, must win for them. Um, it's not a big game nationally wise in terms of, you know, Oakland against the New York Jets. Jets obviously aren't as good as uh, people had maybe hoped going into this year. But it's a huge, huge game as, as it pertains to the AFC West, because the week after they're going to get the uh, Chiefs. So or is it the week after that? Either way, it's going to be huge in terms of the AFC West. Too, yeah. Raiders yeah. are playing some good ball, man. I know you got to be happy. So let's get it. Uh, let's get a couple winners home last week. I think a couple weeks ago, I got a couple winners. So yep, we're you were two, two, oh, and one that week. I was one, uh, one, one, and one. And um, yeah, we're going to try to finish strong in the last third of the season. As always, thank you for listening. We'll see you same time, same place. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.